Hi everybody, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you as well by providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Happy New Year! I think this is the second week of the new year that we've uh, brought the show Stand Up and Speak Up to you, and I'm so excited today. I just saw something on Facebook, and somebody said, after seven days, I've decided I want to you know, refund for 2021, want to give it back. Well, I don't feel that way. I'm you know, trying to make the best out of a good situation here with family and friends and even being socially distanced from everybody. It's just part of our life right now, and you just got to make the best of it. So this year, I've got to share the good news. I was making the best of a fun situation with my book, The Woman Behind the Smile. Last year, I had one woman from SCARS, which is a Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, write to me and say, Deb, when's your book going to be on Audible? I would rather listen to it than read it. It's not a long read. It's only about 105 pages long. I thought, what a neat idea. I love Audible. I listen to Audible all the time. So Peggy Lee Hansen, a friend of mine from Women's Prosperity Network and a publisher, she and I got together and we put the book in the Audible version and it just went live today. And I'm so excited. I went and I listened to the sample of it and goes, wow, that's my voice. That's kind of odd to listen to that. But what a cool way to listen to a book. Not just mine, but any book. So I'm a huge proponent of Audible, and I suggest that you go to audible.com. If you're not signed up, just do the sample. It's called The Woman Behind the Smile, and it's the story of beware and be aware of what's out there. So it brings us to our guest today. I'm so excited because this month is all about money and financial things, and my guest today is coming to us from the Netherlands. We have dominated technology again today and we brought our guest in from the Netherlands and her name is Emily Schull. Emily, welcome to Stand Up and Speak Up. Are you there? Oh my gosh, guess what guys? I muted our guest. Emily. <laughs> yes, I was muted. Hi Debbie, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. That is so funny. I don't know why that did that. Well, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here and unmuted. And Emily, you come to us from the Netherlands today, but you're actually American, married to a Dutchman. Yes, and that's correct. What took you to the Netherlands? We're just going to kind of jump there and then go back into Stand Up and Speak Up. Tell us a little bit about yeah, what sure. took you on your adventure. Yep, so I'm married to, yes, a Dutchman. Uh, we've been married almost 10 years now, and we met in the U.S. 
we never had any intention. I certainly had never intention, never any intention of uh, living outside the U.S. But about a year and a half ago, July 2019, we came here for one year because he was working at a university at the time, my husband, and he had the opportunity to take a sabbatical year. And we have two young children and his father still lives here. So we thought that was a good opportunity for them to experience their Dutch heritage and culture and for us to just take a little break from the way things are. So we came here with the intention of staying one year. And during that time, we just, uh, we decided to stay. We were just integrated into the community more so than we had been on previous vacations and, and enjoyed being here, well, so I here think for the foreseeable future. I think it's a fabulous opportunity. When my kids were little, we were living in Germany and it was an extraordinary, the, the language was difficult for me at first, but the kids were small and if anything can break the ice with someone that you can't speak to with language, it's children and watching them. Children are dogs. In Germany, it was more dogs than kids. Um, they, they thought it was kind of interesting when we had two little boys under the age of three and we'd take them out for dinner. And they'd be saying, what are you doing with your kids out here? But what a great experience. And I think that everybody ought to have the opportunity to live outside of the United States because it will make you appreciate being home when you get back home. So, my dear, let me just tell people who you are because I know you from Women's Prosperity Network. Uh, many people may not know who Emily Schull is. So, reading Emily's bio, and this is just something she put up on her, on her website. It says, you have everything you need to master your money. You just need to see it. That's where she comes in. Emily helps people shine a light on those hidden patterns that are keeping you stuck. You see, most of our money behaviors are out of our control. They are driven by experiences that happened to us decades ago. And once we see our money blocks, we're able to change them. You have the answers already. She's here to help you break them free. And with a master's degree in family financial planning and experienced as a certified money coach, Emily can help us integrate the practical and emotional worlds of money to help us achieve financial and personal satisfaction. When I read that or when I heard that and when I did a little bit of research about you, I started thinking about myself. And it's, you know, I'm 62. I've had a lot of years of money things going on. And I was thinking about the, the uh, jobs I've had as a paralegal or as a banker or whatever I've done. And I'm, I've always, like you, I've always been interested in personal finance, saving, preparing, you know, having things set aside for a rainy day. And then I look back at the experience of me giving away a million dollars. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, how can the same person be doing all of these, you know, apparently contradictory things? So, Emily, I want you to tell folks, basically, how did you get into this kind of work? And then we're going to go into some specifics. Sure. First, I just want to say, isn't that interesting? And how money, in a way, has nothing to do with money. Absolutely. It has to do with our emotions and our subconscious and yeah, our, our desire to protect ourselves. So we'll talk about that uh, as we go along. Um, so I just feel like everything in my life has led me to become a money coach. I've always had a strong interest in personal finance and also personal development. And let's see where to start. Uh, so about eight years ago, we were, um, we moved uh, to Connecticut for my husband's job. And so I left the job that I had behind 
I left it behind. And it gave me the opportunity to explore what I wanted to do because I had worked for nonprofits and academia as a researcher and a grant writer. And while those things were um, a good skill, a good fit for my skill set, it wasn't something that I was truly passionate about. So I really wanted to explore this opportunity. And one thing that I kept coming back to is money. I've always really enjoyed personal finance. I enjoyed counting my own money when I was growing up. Um, you know, I was given an allowance. I really enjoyed saving to be able to buy something that I wanted. Um, and when I got into college, I got my first credit card. And those days, those were the days where they really were like giving them away like candy. They gave out all these incentives if you signed up for a credit card. So here I was in college and my first purchase on my credit card, I think, was a $200 pair of boots. <laughs> <laughs> practical. <laughs> Completely impractical. And I ended up paying for those, you know, until I was 25. And finally, a day came where I remember I was sitting on the edge of my bed and my credit card statement was in. I was balancing my checkbook and I realized for the first time that I barely had enough money to make the minimum payment. And, um, and I realized I needed to do something about that. So I just started learning everything I could about finance, although my father was very good with money. And in a lot of ways, I inherited his money beliefs and habits. I was never taught anything about it. So I just I didn't know how to operate in the adult world with money. Um, but in that moment, I didn't realize how lucky I was that that I had the confidence to do this. And this is something that I didn't realize until much, much later, that many people don't have this confidence. They were raised um, without any thought to the fact that they should be taking care of their money or, you know, with any skills in how to do that. And so I read as much as I could. It started to make sense to me. Um, I thought, oh, I'd like to be a financial planner. I'd like to help people with their money. But when I looked into that at the time, it just seemed more like a sales job than anything else, just trying to get as much assets under management as possible. And that wasn't something I was interested in. So long story short, all these years later, I had the opportunity to take a different path in my career. And I discovered an online master's program in family financial planning. And my kids were four and one at the time. So that was perfect because I was working part-time and then I could do this program um, and it fit into my schedule, you know, whenever I was able to do the coursework. And so I got really excited and I thought I was going to be a financial advisor because the industry in the meantime had changed so much and more people were working with more middle-class people who didn't have a lot of money and I could really see my way into the profession. But then as I got further in my coursework and was listening to my classmates talk, most of the ones who were already in the profession, it seemed like they, they always thought that there was a financial solution to every financial problem. And they were really missing this emotional part. And for some reason, I always thought that money was emotional, even though my parents rarely talked about it and rarely talked about it together, there was always this undercurrent that I could feel in the house around money. And I could never understand how someone could sit across the desk from someone wearing a suit, you know, a financial advisor, and just talk about the money that they have, the money that they want to have, their hopes, their dreams. It just 
the emotional part just seemed to be void there. And I, I, that was the part I was most interested in. So from there, I did some research. I discovered the Money Coaching Institute, which trains people in helping people understand their relationship with money. So all about the emotional side rather than the practical side. And I just fell in love with that because, um, because of the overlap with personal development. For years, decades, I had been working on myself, trying to figure myself out because um, when I was in my 20s, probably up until my mid 30s, you know, I just felt like something was wrong with me. Like everyone else was walking around with a script that they knew how to do life. And somehow I just didn't have that script or I didn't get that manual. And so this really puts together those two worlds. And, and so when I work with clients, I help them understand their money story um, as it relates to how money has influenced uh, their decisions in their life, how emotions actually, their emotions and their early uh, experiences in childhood has shaped their behaviors all the way up to the present day. And because money touches every aspect of life, this, it, it ripples to every aspect of our life from our relationships to our bank account to our careers, hobbies, everything. And it's interesting. I think as time goes on, we're, we're seeing that what we experienced as children it's in that subconscious right now is, is really affecting how the 40, 50, 60 year olds are dealing with life. And, and as you're talking about that, I'm thinking back about how I was taught as a child. Because I think we're, we're, like you said, we're not teaching our children early enough about what was going on. But when I was a kid, and I've heard, I remember Nancy, uh, Nancy Mathers from WPN, she and I were yakking one day, and you know, what came out of our mother's mouths was, money doesn't grow on trees. You don't talk about it because you'll appear to be too bodacious or braggarty or something like that. And so I, I learned that part of it. And I'm sitting here, I was writing notes, like my grandparents were, were fairly well off, but you would never have known it. They didn't do anything, they didn't go anywhere, um, they were very modest about it, but my grandma was the one that says, you know, doesn't grow on trees. My other side of the family, my dad's father passed away, he was a doctor, but he passed away young. My dad was, uh, thrown into taking care of his, my, my grandmother, taking care of his aunt, taking care of all of these people. So Pop was the protector and was very careful with his money. Again, another doctor, but yeah, we didn't talk about it. So it's funny that you know, 50 years later, I'm out here talking about it and saying, why didn't I talk about it? Why was I so guarded? And, I, and a lot of my money decisions and looking at, when I took your quiz here, everybody, I want you to go to, what is it called, Emily? Me, myself, yep, uh, and money.com slash quiz. While we're on the show, everybody, go into me, myself, and money.com slash quiz. Take the quiz. And then we'll have Emily talk about it later on. But there are things that came out in that. I'm like, oh my gosh, that quiz has me dead on. You know, it's the way, and, and I'm looking back at what I grew up with. And no matter how much training and, and financial planning and all these things I've done in banking, I still go back. Those little words are still in the back of my mind. Money doesn't grow on trees. Don't talk about it. And that's, I think, where I, we, where I got stuck in a lot of spots. And when I, you know, I look back at how in the world could I give away so much money in the relationship scam is that I didn't talk about it. I didn't tell anybody. I did it in secret. And I thought I was helping and then when I got scammed, oh my gosh, you know, that throws you into a whole nother 
depth of depression and vulnerability and stupidity and all those things. So as a money emotional, as a coach, as someone that deals with the emotions of money, if someone comes to you and they've done something that they consider really stupid, and I hate that word, but that's the way I looked at myself, how do we recover from that? What's the first step for us to move out of that? The first step is to realize, to understand why we did it in the first place. And when you're in that, you're at that moment, you think, yeah, this was so dumb. How could I have done that? There's so much self-judgment there. Um, but the first step is to understand why. There's actually a reason why. And it's, it's a good reason why. It's in the subconscious. Something happened to you a long time ago, and your brain automatically encoded this behavior to come up without you even thinking about it in certain circumstances to keep you safe. You just have to understand what that is. And once you do, then you'll be able to change your behavior. Well, for me, security was huge. You know, I, and that's why I think that the scammers in particular, they're promising financial security. And, and uh, you know, I'd lost my husband and all my life I wanted to pay off my bills. I didn't want to be in any debt. Um, I wanted to have financial security for me and the kids going forward. And that promise of we'll take care of you, especially after Lou died so suddenly and died after he had uh, canceled our life insurance, um, mm. I, I, I guess it was that, that comfort or that thought that I'm going to be taken care of. And maybe that's the part where my dad took care of everybody. You know, I'm trying to analyze myself here. Um, but when that gets ripped out from underneath you, that's when you start thinking, well, I can't blame what I learned as a child on what just happened. You know, so tell, tell yeah, me. I don't, I don't think yeah, blame may I not be the right word. But. Yeah, it's not blaming. It's, um, yeah, we just need to understand ourselves. It's all about understanding yourself. And that's why I say on my website that you have the answers. I just help you find them. Um, so yeah. looking at your website, we want, we want to think that we have, we want to think that we have uh, so much choice over our behaviors, but the thing is, we actually don't. And until we examine where they're coming from, we we won't have we won't have total control over them. So once we understand it, then it frees us up to make informed, better choices rather than by emotion or that kind of stuff. That's right. It's just like walking through a room in the pitch black. You don't know what's in front of you. So first of all, you can't move very quickly. And second of all, um, you know, you just can't see. You can't make a good choice. Oh, let me go this way because the door is over there. You can't see where the door is. But once you shine the light, once you turn the light on, then you can see everything. Then you can make rational, logical choices. On, your, on the quiz, there are, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of words. And there are a lot of emotional words, highly charged words. Um, where did that list come from? Is that something that you came up with or it's, there, there is a science behind this? Kind of explain that to us. Yeah, it comes from the Money Coaching Institute where I trained. Um, mm -hmm. So Deborah Price is the founder and she herself was a financial advisor who realized no one was talking about the emotions. And so she, uh, she designed this whole course of work based on her experience with clients and what was working for them when she was finally talking to them about the emotions, about their money histories, um, they were able to move forward in their financial lives and personal lives. 
Well, it's a very interesting list, and I think at different times in our lives we might, you know, have checked one of the boxes off. You mentioned on mine that I, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me that I didn't check a lot of the boxes, but at this particular moment there were certain things that popped out to me, and you know, a lot of them I I didn't feel, but you know, four or five years ago after the scam, I would have picked a whole different group of things. So can we yeah. evolve in this, or is it, are you looking for our, our core, and I think you call it the core, um, the, the basic things that are driving our decisions? Yeah, you bring up a great point. So this quiz is a snapshot in time. So it tells us what our behaviors are around money at the present moment, at the time that you take the quiz. And from day to day, they're probably not going to vary too much, Unless you, um, you're in a certain emotional space, you know, that's very uh, strong that could influence your choices. But from day to day, it doesn't change too much. But over time, and especially during and after transitions in our life, um, they can change. And because we can have one prominent archetype and then under situations of stress or change, that's going to devolve into a different archetype that's going to come out because that's where our, it, it's going to activate our fear centers. So if I can, I can go through the archetypes and and tell you a little bit about them. Please do. So there are eight of them. And I always start out by saying these archetypes, they tell us how we behave and think around money, but they are not your personality. So when I talk about them, I'm not saying, oh, you're a big victim or, oh, look at how much martyr you are or have. Um, This is simply your behaviors in the moment around money. So innocent is the first archetype. We all start out as innocents, and innocent is someone who is dependent on others to meet their needs. So as children, we're all innocent. Ideally, when we grow up, we are um, we're encouraged to develop our own sense of power, but many of us are not, and we're disempowered. And when that happens, we're never able to feel comfortable in our own financial and personal decision making. And so we stay stuck as the innocent. The innocent is um, very much fears, um, fears being left alone, fears being abandoned, and doesn't feel confident that they can take care of themselves. They also are very likely not to want to look at the full picture of what's going on. Sometimes it's just a little scary to realize what's going on in life. Next, we have the victim. And just as it seems, the victim is someone who has been hurt and, you know, often very badly, but they have not been able to transform that hurt into um, into an area of growth. Uh, you said yourself in the beginning of the show that everything that happens to us helps us grow. So if you don't use that as an opportunity to grow, then you're stuck in that pain. And that affects your decisions going forward because you're not likely to take responsibility for yourself. Mm-hmm. Next is the warrior. And the warrior is one of the two ideal archetypes of money. The warrior is very comfortable in the world of finance. They make decisions easily and confidently. Next up is the martyr. And um, the martyr is someone who uh, often comes from a place of compassion. They want to do the right thing. They want to help other people, but they don't realize that their boundaries are stretch too much to the extent that they are actually disempowering the person that they want to help because they're not letting them um, stand up for themselves and be in their own power and take responsibility and control of their own lives. Mm 
Ding, the ding, martyr ding. is also <laughs> the martyr also has some attachment to uh, to suffering mm. and is often a little bit perfectionistic. They'd rather do things themselves because they want it a certain way. Uh, the fool archetype. Oh, everybody loves a fool. The fool is going to pay for your dinner and take you out. And um, they're very optimistic, which is nice. If you are in business for yourself, it's really helpful to have a little bit of fool because um, it's all about um, being able to take a little bit of risk. But the fool takes it to the extreme. You know, they'll give you the shirt off their back and then realize, oops, that was my last shirt. Now I'm naked. Um, so that's the fool. Very optimistic. They always think they're going to land on their feet, but sometimes they don't and it creates incredible trouble for them. Which makes it interesting if you have a child who's a fool and you're a martyr. <laughs> it's a really yes. interesting dynamic. <laughs> yes, yes, you can see those dynamics. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then next comes the creator artist. The creator artist is someone who is, um, authenticity is very important to them. And they're very internally driven and motivated. But the creator artist often has trouble living in the material world. They would rather not have to deal with money. They would rather that just not even have to factor into their mind. And so it's very difficult for them to feel authentic and make a living at the same time. There's a lot of conflict in the creator artist. Next up is the tyrant. And the tyrant shares some qualities with the warrior in that they're very comfortable in the financial world. However, the tyrant completely oversteps their boundary and is very controlling over other people. They tend to be very obsessive, compulsive, controlling. If, if you have any tyrants in your life, you know, you know it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and it's driven by a sense of not enoughness. They have a really deep core wound that they never examine, they never attend to, and now it is uh, really out of control. They take it out on other people, and as a result, they have very strained relationships with people, especially their family members. And the last archetype is the magician, and this is one of the two archetypes, the warrior being the other one, um, that we really want to aspire to grow into. While the warrior is the archetype of financial confidence, the magician is the archetype of trust. You can say it's the archetype of abundance in that the magician thinks that in time, everything is going to come together. They're very confident uh, that they will be able to see opportunities and act in ways that will keep them financially and personally comfortable and and active throughout their life. They're not going to worry about being laid off. They're going to say, okay, if I lose my job, I know I'll be able to find something else. So that's why the warrior and the magician, it's important to have both of those be strong because you can be a strong magician, but reality might be saying something different. So you can think everything's going to be okay, but um, you know, if you've been out of work for a year, you have no income, you, your savings are dwindling, you can think, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to, everything's going to be okay. But unless you have that warrior to actually take the action and the steps to move forward, then it can become untethered from reality. I just took copious notes. 
I find this so interesting because I'm looking at myself and other people in my life and where they fit in and how we all work around them. So that kind of that's what you do uh, do it in some of your work too. You work with couples and relationships. How do you see things like if you take a young couple that just got married versus a couple that's been married 40 years? What are the differences that you're seeing, and how can we encourage couples to work together? Because money is a huge issue for most people. Yeah, that's such a great question. I love working with new couples. Absolutely love it because they just, they're, especially when they come to me, they're in a place where they're willing to learn about themselves and about their partner. And they have such optimism and a sense that, you know, they can work and grow together. Whereas older couples, couples who've been together for a long time, rather, sometimes that sense that we can do this together, we can grow together and individually is, is missing from them. I'd say that's the biggest, the, the biggest difference. Um, as long as you have a growth mindset, especially around relationships, and your partner does too, then, then you're going to be fine. But if you feel like, no, they're never going to change, um, you know, then, then, you know, that's really hard. Then the only thing that you can do is work on yourself. Well, here's an interesting question. I'm, you know, looking fast forward and from those great years when you first got married to them when you're starting to have families and things get a little tense. But fast forward to like when I was 52 and Lou died, I, I got thrown into another category. At that point, I was in charge of everything. So the fear of not being able to take care of the family, or maybe it wasn't a fear, but the responsibility of taking care of the family, um, but the fear of not having the security because and the life insurance was gone and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of emotions wrapped up in a sudden death or in a divorce. Mm-hmm. So um, are you, when you're working or have you been working with with single women, older single women that have gone through some major life change, how do we pull all of those emotions together and, and how do we move forward um, with hope and with trust in ourselves and not get taken like I did? That's a loaded question. Yeah. Are you there? And forward, you have to look back first. So you have to understand why, how it is you came to this point. And without, without all the judgment, you know, just where we are, everybody, where we are in this moment is exactly where we should be, given everything that has happened in the past. And if we can look at that and acknowledge that without all the shame and self-judgment, then, then we can move forward. And so that's what I help people do. Okay, you're here for a reason, and this is how you got here. And then we work together to look forward. Um, and, and really identify all of the strengths, all of their accomplishments, everything that they have, their personal resources, and how they can use those to go forward. Because the past is the past. We've all made goofs. We've all made poor money decisions, yes. right? And, and we don't have to keep continuing it, but we will if we don't understand why we did it in the first place. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, that, that's a really interesting place to be. And, you know, at some point I think you said um, we can be passive-aggressive about things because we want to say something and have control, but then we don't want to be the 
we don't we don't want to be in control of other people but I think as mothers I mean at least me as a mother part of me wants to make sure my kids are protected and stay safe and I do things and you and I talked about this I do things that enable them to not be self-sufficient which is not a good thing how do we back off a little bit of that control <laughs> that's a great question well, the advantage of having adult children and being in this situation is that you can have conversations with them. Now, you can sit down. First of all, of course, you need to um, realize what is not working and why. And so once you acknowledge, okay, I'm, I'm really taking over here where I shouldn't be. And so then you can sit down with your child and say, listen, I've, I've recently understood that, you know, I was coming from a good place. I was really trying to help you, but I realized you know, I didn't have very high expectations for you, or I was trying to keep you so safe that I prevented you from making these small mistakes that you would learn from. And I'm sorry about that. But going forward, I want to make sure that, you know, you become the independent, confident person that you're meant to be. And so I am going to start doing that by making these changes. (laughs) And I'm not your ATM machine. (laughs) Because <laughs> I, I think back, and when my kids were little, we went through phases. You know, I have four children, and when the when the oldest boys were little, we weren't making a lot of money, and we were very careful, and we you know we didn't have cable TV and all these kinds of things. And as and this happens as you, uh, you know, as we get older as parents, and we get a little more stable, we have a little more money, and we do things a little bit differently. And then the older kids were like, well, when I was little, I didn't have such and such, and the little ones got everything. And the little one, I remember one day, he's not little anymore, he's 25, I remember going to the bank and I didn't have any cash. And he goes, well, Mom, just go to the ATM machine. There's cash there. I'm like, yeah, but it's not mine. Well, just go put your card in. You can get cash. And I'm thinking, okay, Mom, you just made a mistake. The ATM machine is not your cash machine unless, you know, you train the kids that there's got to be money in the bank. And I laugh at the youngest sometimes because... He's like, and I hate to call him a fool because he's not, but that full definition of giving the last shirt off your body to somebody else and then realizing that you don't have a shirt anymore. It's like, hey, mom, can I have a new shirt? And mom going, of course, dear, come here. I don't want you without a shirt on. I'm like, okay, so we have a communication thing going on here and that (laughs) I see all sorts of issues here. Um, but you love them to death and you want to take care of them, but you're thinking, where did I go wrong? You know, it's not wrong. Where could I have been better at training yeah. or encouraging? And or I'm like, some kids are some kids are scared of money. They have, they're scared to have it in their wallet. Or they, you know, they're they want to spend it. They just want to spend it, but they don't want to work for it. So yeah, there's I'm rambling now because yeah, my brain is but- all over. <laughs> But there's always a way forward. Like, yes, where did I go wrong in the past? But, and then how can I make it better? We always have a choice every day of, of moving forward. You know, we, we can change relationships. I had one, I had a client do this recently. I went through her, I went with her through the core process, the one-on-one coaching process. And then she took my course. And after the course, oh my gosh, she made a change. It was like almost literally overnight realizing, oh my gosh, I have been such a martyr. I have been acting like a martyr 
and I've been giving away so much. And it, with her, it, uh, in addition to her children, it was also a work situation. And she went into work and she told her partner, you know what? I realized uh, I've been wrong. I've been giving away too much and I realized I'm not going to put up with it anymore. And so going forward, I'm making these changes. And it could be, it could, it, you know, you, you, you have the choice to begin to change relationships at any time. So Emily, how it can... It doesn't always have to be so dramatic. Well, you just brought up that your core course. How can people reach out to you and get a hold of you and, and have this dialogue short of doing the, the, the money quiz? Yep. Yeah. So there are yeah, different avenues. You can certainly take the money type quiz and then um, I'll record a, a short video of your uh, results and send that back to you within a few days. You get the results back instantly through email, but then I like to do a personalized video as well. It's so excellent, you can do that. by the way. I, I find that to be <laughs> excellent. So everybody take the quiz and get your personal little video from Emily. It's excellent. Go ahead, Em. How can they reach out after that? Sure. You can send me an email at emily at memyselfandmoney.com. If you go to my website, memyselfandmoney.com, you can schedule a 30-minute consultation call with me at no charge. And then I also have courses that I offer throughout uh, the year at different times. I have a, a four-week course um, I'll be offering probably in March. So if you want more information about that, you can just sign up for my newsletter on my website. And then I also have a, an email, an on-demand email course, Draw Your Way to Abundance. That's a really fun one. So this is designed to get at our subconscious through drawing pictures. And the oh, best wow. part about it is that absolutely no artistic skill is needed. <laughs> <laughs> I draw stick figures myself and it's worked really well for me. <laughs> So that's also on my website, and um, that's something that I just started this email course. I did it live in the in the fall, and so if any of your listeners would like to participate in that, it's brand new, and I'm uh, going to give you a 50% discount if you're interested in that, and that's just on the main uh, page of my website, and the code for that is SMILE. Oh, that's great. Lowercase. That's great. That is so funny because it brings up like, oh my gosh, we're going to be sitting here judging our pictures. You know, this came up when my not, when, no. No, ju no judgment zone. There's no judgment exactly. zone, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm not, a, I'm not an artist and that probably came from when we were little and the teacher's like, well, you can't draw. You know? It's like, or you can't sing, you can't do whatever. But I love how you just keep for, you keep it positive. How can I make it better? And that's what we deal with a lot with, um, with victims of relationship scams or victims of fraud in general. We many times live in the past and blame ourselves for what happened and can't move forward because we were afraid to tell anybody. We're afraid to tell our family what happened because of the judgment and the and people, you know, we lose friends, we lose family, we lose a lot of, of relationships, which might be a good thing looking back, um, but it's very difficult to get past, initially get past the shame and vulnerability of what you did. When we do, speaking personally, um, it's very liberating to get it off your chest and just say, okay, I goofed, I made a mistake, it was something that was important to me and I look back and the scam financially was a, was a huge issue, but I learned a lot about myself and I've tried to find the positive in that negative situation. Uh, but a lot of people can't do that by themselves, and that's the thing. 
we're not here alone. And I love what you do because it's not just the money part. Because people have lost trust in their in their way of dealing with money, but it's how do we deal with our emotions through this whole thing? It's a hugely emotional thing to be scammed in a relationship scam because it's taking your heart in addition to your finances. And I really love how you take us back and say, let's look at what's happened and, and then step by step move forward. So when you're working with couples, do you find one is easier to work with than the other or, you know, I'm stuck on this one because um, I heard someone uh, when you were interviewed the other day uh, when they said if, if someone, and I think this came from either Susie Ormond, I love her too, you mentioned that you like her, um, if you can't open up your checkbook to your significant other, then they shouldn't be the person you're with if you're hiding. So can you address that about hiding our financial decisions, hiding our money from our significant others and our family members? Yeah, it's very common. Uh, financial infidelity is what uh, financial professionals call that, hiding your money from word. your partner. <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah, the problem with that, there's just so much shame, again, that comes with that. And, you know, couples don't most... Most all of us, none of us want to intentionally lie or deceive our partner, but we find ourselves doing it because of these really strong emotions that we have. And so if we don't understand why they're there and why they're driving us, then, you know, it's going to lead to behaviors like this. Um, that's why when I work with couples, we go through each of their money biographies. And so we really like we comb through their past with a fine tooth comb. Because by the time we get to this incident, and sometimes it's revealed during our sessions together, sometimes they've already, uh, th that's the cause of the sessions. It's come out, they realize there's been this, um, this secret and, and they want to resolve it together. Um, but by the time we get to that instance, because they now have an understanding both of themselves and of their partner's history, you know, it, it puts it in context. So you're able, it makes forgiveness and moving forward easier. Mm. Um, not simple, but easier when you have that full context behind it. So here's an interesting uh, question too. When in a situation like mine, uh, when there's, you know, there isn't a spouse there, um, this financial infidelity is kind of interesting. I, I'm not sure I would call it infidelity when you're hiding it from your children. But when I was, when I started um, sending money to my my Eric at the time, um, I, the big thing was hiding it from the family, and that was part of his ploy. You know, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. And I bought into that, and I didn't tell my kids. And then as soon as my kids started saying, Mom, don't, 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 I'm thinking, well, I'm the adult here, leave me alone. Well, that's a humble pie moment after the whole scam was revealed, and I had to go back to my kids and say, coulda, shoulda listened to you, I'm really sorry. Um, and then explain to them how it happened, why I did it, and that I wasn't going to be beholden to them financially going forward. So I think that was their problem was they were worried about you know having to take care of mom. How do you work? How would you work with people that have gone through what I've gone through when you 
need for them to start telling people around them and their family especially because their kids are going to want to know and a lot of people won't do that because of the fear of what the kids might say. Yeah, well, I think it's an individual decision how much financial information you share with your family. I mean, if you, yeah, some families are share more than others. So, is it beneficial um, to share, or is it better just to keep it quiet? In your opinion. Well, I think it depends on how your family finances are set up and the ages of everybody involved. Um, it's always better to talk about money, but you don't necessarily, you know, it's, it's okay to keep some things private, but then to talk about reasons behind things. For example, when my, um, when, when my eight-year-old, how old is he? Eight, <laughs> when my eight-year-old asks, how much money do I have in the bank? He's like basically asking, what is our net worth? Yeah. That's really not something at this age I'm comfortable sharing with him right. because I don't want him to turn around and tell all his classmates. And, um, but I can have a conversation with him about, oh, why are you interested in that? Is there, you know, and I can find out, is there something you're concerned about? Uh, do you think that we don't have enough or, you know, that we don't have enough resources? Um, you know, where's this question coming from? And mm -hmm. you can kind of answer the question without revealing information that you you deem private. I think in our situation, it's more of kids, you know, I've, I've had an experience that, um, I don't know how you want to say it. I just came out and told mine because they, you know, of course I did an interview about it and it went public. <laughs> so I had to explain mm -hmm. it to them. Uh, that doesn't normally happen to a lot of the women and that we're dealing with. Um, but I'm going to bring in Dr. Tim McGinnis on this conversation because I'm sure he's on the other side reeling over saying, Deb, what in the world are you doing here? But Dr. Tim, are you there? I am here. Tim, uh, in your experience working with SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, and um, are dealing with particularly women that have been scammed out of a lot of money, um, where do you see the, the issues with them in, in understanding what happened and moving forward in a well, positive way? It, it's, it's ironic because we were dealing with this very topic yesterday, but in a slightly different way. We were looking at the differences between men and women when it came to this question of the trauma that they experience as a result of a relationship scam. And women, by and large, um, experience much higher levels of, of recovery and realism than do men. So men, on average, only about 5% of men who have experienced this kind of trauma really recover from the experience. This is based upon our own research and, and that of others. Um, they fall into a whole variety of different, uh, of different modalities, anger being anger and rage being one of them. And I would imagine when it comes to traumatic experiences that are related to money, similar things are probably true. Now with women, it breaks down into the three primary categories, those in some form of denial, those in some form of anger, or the realists who can accept the situation as it is difficult though it is, and work through it. 
work towards a goal or at least work day by day without a focus on a goal, but because they're going by the numbers and doing the right thing, sometimes it surprises them, but they arrive at the point where they need to be, uh, even if they didn't have a goal in mind specifically. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I'm, you know, it'd be interesting to have our women that we work with take Emily's quiz to see, you know, where do we fall and and do, would we be in a different position like one one month after the scam versus six years after the scam? When I took the the uh, quiz and Emily made a comment, she goes, "Deb, you have like zero percent of victim," and maybe it's because I've worked so hard to not see myself as a victim, to not right. be in that mentality. Like, and even after the scam, I mean, I start dating within you know weeks, and I'm like, how in the world could I have done that? I was not going to let this, the scam have power over me, and, and I wanted to prove to myself that I could move forward, and thank goodness I didn't. I ended up getting married, and it was lovely. But we, so we did a recent, we did a recent poll of members of our support group. And by the way, we did post your quiz link in our uh, one of our, our larger support groups that has a few hundred members. But we did a poll recently where we did a emotional inventory of asking people to describe or remember um, the words that applied to them while they were in the middle of their scam. What's interesting about that is how many of them are probably misremembering those emotions at the time. Some of them are obvious. Some of them are, 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 are clearly remembered. Many of them are probably not. But it's when you do this kind of emotional, adjective kind of, of inventory, it can yield some very interesting results. And you're right. It will change over time. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd be really curious to see, and, and maybe we can, you know, get a gathering of people together and just kind of talk about this and invite Emily back and say, work us through this. So thank you very much, Tim. I really appreciate that input. And Emily, I'm going to, you know, before we, before we wrap up, you sent a question to me and said, how, how did I face and overcome my own money blocks while promoting my money coaching services? Have you actually had money blocks? And of how did course. you get through it? <laughs> yes, we all do. And, uh, you know, coaches are human, too. It was ironic, of course, because I, I was promoting, uh, it was the first time I really took an effort to market my services. And I had been in business for about a year. And I realized, oh, like, I had been making lots of connections, I'd been working with some clients, but I really wasn't marketing. So that that should have tipped me off the fact that I was in business for a year without doing any marketing. So I participated in this group coaching program. And we were delivering a webinar and and making an offer selling our services. And I found myself so resistant to all the steps we needed to take when we had to post on social media and email our friends. And I was so resistant and I found myself realizing that even though I largely inherited a lot of my money beliefs and behaviors from my father, and that came out when I did my own work when I was training, I didn't realize how much of my mother was in me. And this, this uh, refrain kept repeating of, I don't want to bother anybody. 
<laughs> and it, I think it really came from two places. Like I can, she really sees salespeople as people who are just bothering people and trying to take advantage. And that's been a big story running through her life. You know, uh, her father was uh, um, taken advantage of by a business partner. And so that's the, the family lore in that part of the family. Um, but on the other hand, it goes much deeper than that into my personal history of feeling always feeling like I was a bother when I was growing up um, and, and how clearly those two were connected. I don't want to bother people. Mm. And when I made that connection, I realized, oh my gosh, like this is a big money block of my own. And so I took the time to really examine it and I did work through it and I was, you know, able to complete that, that, um, the webinar and everything, but it made me understand more, um, a lot of the clients that I work with, especially entrepreneurs and this, so many of them, I realized their first or an early money memory for them is about asking for something and being scolded for it. Mm. And so, of course, years later, when they're business for themselves, they have a, such a hard time being visible or asking for a certain price point for their services and feeling okay about that. I totally get it because I have my own company and I'm so resistant to raising prices even though you know my prices have risen over the years I'm so conscious of my client thinking you know they're either retired they're on fixed income they've been taken in a way and they don't have that money and I'm like but I'm putting everybody on the family plan which isn't making a lot of money for the company but it's goodwill I'm thinking, but you can't be in business for goodwill. So there's a lot of, lot of blocks going on in this brain here. Um, and this has been so much fun for me to, to identify this because it's important, and I want our listeners to understand, this is important. Your relationship with money is really important. And it's not a source of, of shame if you've, if you've been taken or you've given it away. I mean, I was at a point where... We were doing well financially, and we gave a lot of money. To, you know, we his, you never lend money to friends or family because they, you know, if they don't pay you back, there's going to be a problem. And I've had to learn that if I give money away, it is a gift. I'm not looking to get it back. If it's a business thing, if it's a loan or whatever, then you make it a financial business decision and you put it in writing. And you do want it back, you know, and you do have a payment plan and that kind of stuff. Um, you can't mix the two because it really damages relationships. In a scam, I'm looking back going, okay, I'm not going to get that money back. Sure wish I could. I realize I will not. Um, and that I willingly gave it. I had to, I had to acknowledge that. Um, and I probably didn't tell the truth to my kids or to Western Union or whoever. I had to acknowledge that. There's a lot of emotional stuff wrapped up into this. Um, but it doesn't define me. It's something that happened to me in the past, but it's not me. And looking at the things that you, you coach about, I'm thinking there's a lot of reasons why I might have done that based on my money thoughts and my experiences as a child. And it's time for me to clear those things out so that we can go forward because I'm only halfway done with my life. And I thank you, Emily. I thank you for what you're doing and for the, the courage to step out 
and you know be there as a, a different kind of a financial coach. Um, one that does address the dynamics of money in our relationships and identifying those things that could be holding us back or you know are not allowing us to to have our greatest potential and um, last word for you I want you to, to put out there what what would you like our clients to our customers and our listeners to know about giving and receiving money and me myself and money I just want them to know that there is absolutely nothing wrong with them. And if they find that they make decisions that they really question later, that they just don't understand, that there is a reason. There's a reason for that. They just need to understand what it is. And they can do that. And they can start by doing it by going to your quiz and give them the quiz code again. And the, I mean the quiz uh, URL or how do they get to the quiz? Yep. Yes, me, myself, and money dot com forward slash quiz and do that Emily will will get you the in, the answer or the um, the results will be instantaneous but the little video that she sends afterwards I found to be dead on it was so fun and then the email course that you're giving them the 50% off on how do they get to that yep so just go to the main page of my website www.memyselfandmoney.com and you'll see it there. You can just click through. And if you would like to uh, purchase that course, you have a 50% discount. And that code is SMILE. And that's the, is that the draw your, abund- draw your way to abundance? Yes. 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 Did you draw that it's a fun but It's a fun but deceptively powerful course. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. It's right there in the middle of the website. And uh, so I, I suggest everybody go to it. And thank you so much for coming to us from... The Netherlands, my daughter's one of her favorite places to go, and uh, mine too when we lived over in Europe. Good luck to you and the family. And here's a side note which I, th- I found very interesting. We didn't talk about it, but Emily's husband is actually a research engineer. Is that what you call them? Research engineer? No, research scientist. Mm-hmm. Research scientist, that's it. Uh, for cybersecurity, which in our world, that's a huge thing. And uh, Maybe someday we'll get him on the emotional side to understand, you know, help us understand and research what happens in the scam. But thank you so much. Thank you for him, and uh, good luck overseas and, and uh, with you and your family. We wish you health and happiness and safety over there. Uh, thank you for our listeners. We really appreciate you being here today. Um, Stand up and speak up is an extraordinary time for all of us to encourage each other to remove the mask of embarrassment and to stand up and be our best self. So if you're a victim of scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, which is the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, Florida, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can make a small donation, visit our website and help out. This episode of Stand Up and Speak Up is sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles and numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfotiamine products at BenfoComplete.com. Use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thanks everybody for being with us today. Go to my website, TheWomanBehindTheSmile.com. For additional information and resources and replays of this show, have a happy and healthy day and 
go to Emily's quiz, do that money quiz at memyselfandmoney.com and enjoy what you find out. Blessings going forward, everybody. Have a happy and healthy, happy and healthy and safe day. Till next time. Thanks very much. Have a great one. Okay.